Um, so we are doing, we've done our Advent readings like that on purpose uh, to sort of try to model family worship. Uh, as we said last week, a lot of times you, you hear uh, talk from churches about how you're supposed to disciple your kids, right? And you hear words like family devotions or family worship. And, and for some of us that didn't grow up executing those things or seeing those things done as when we were kids, it can be difficult to know where to start, right? Um, and so we just want to encourage you, hey, just grab a Jesus Storybook Bible or a Bible and read a story, and that's it. Like, that's, that's really a good place to start is just sitting down and reading a story. But then more than that, don't get discouraged when the wheels come off, right? When you have to stop and discipline a kid or you have to, you know, stop and you have a fight with your wife because you don't know where she put the lighter, right? Um, and you're trying to do, like, stuff like that because it's real life and that's okay. We want to teach our kids that there's a genuineness to following Jesus and it's not just this, this real formal thing we do on Sunday mornings and then it's disconnected from the rest of life. We want to integrate our faith into our home, right? From the very beginning in Deuteronomy 6, like, that's what he taught his people. God said, I want you to talk about this all the time. When you're coming home and when you're leaving, you want to write on the doorpost. When, you're, when you get up and when you lay down, I want you to write it near your bed. When you're having dinner, when you're leaving, when you're coming, I want you to write it on your hands, your forehead, all the time. Just make it a conversation about God and his goodness. So um, that's our attempt to do that. And then, man, teach them to celebrate. Like, you guys... Maybe you can play guitar and sing. If you can, that's great. If not, redeem that mess called YouTube, right? Redeem that mess. Put it on your TV with a worship song that has lyrics like that and sing as a family. It's really easy to do. If you don't know how, your kids do. So let them do it. It'll be awesome, right? Let them put a worship song on there and sing together in your living room. And then y'all dance like Wyatt was, right? You guys dance like that. There's a story where King David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, was like called out by his people for dancing like a fool out in the field, but he was worshiping God. And David says, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll become even more undignified than this to worship my God. As Alex said, we're way too dignified sometimes as we worship, right? Jesus often points to kids for us adults to learn from. So that's my hope is that we cultivate that kind of faith here uh, amongst our people at The Journey, where we worship in everyday life, in the messiness of everyday life, and where we have faith that uh, we're allowed to, to, to celebrate and, and to shout for joy and even to dance a little bit uh, unto the Lord. It's good. It is good to, to teach our kids to be excited, to, to throw themselves into something, to celebrate something, and for that something to be the one thing that is worth celebrating. Man, that is a, that is a good task of ours. They're going to see many of you dads jump and cheer at a ball game, right? They're going to see other parts of our life where we jump. Like, we should, we should learn and we should cultivate a culture where we celebrate Jesus in that way. So, that's our hope of what we're doing. And so, our Advent series <coughs> is, uh, is, is in our second week, and we're talking about covenants. And, and here's, here's the deal. So, um, you know, oftentimes when it comes to Christmas, we're used to celebrating it because it's a big deal culturally. Um, and then we understand the story, you know, of Jesus coming to be born in a manger, and we understand that he was born of a virgin, and so we kind of get some of that, but sometimes it can be difficult to know, like, okay, but this, you know, the significance of, of our faith is really rooted more in Easter, right, and in, in in Good Friday and Easter and what Christ accomplished there, and sometimes it can feel like, okay, yeah, he was born, but you know, like he didn't do much there. But here's the deal. Like the, the birth of Christ is a big deal. And we, we take a whole month to celebrate it here at the journey. We, we just celebrate Advent, which is a historical, 
you know, thing on the Christian calendar where we just take the month of, of December and, and posture ourselves in a waiting and looking forward to the coming of Christ. And so when he comes, like we do all that in a miniature version for 30 days or, or you know, 25 days or so in, in December, but that is, is picturing the people of God that waited and waited for generation after generation on the promised one. On the coming. So when Jesus shows up in that manger, it is the fulfillment, it is the culmination of promise upon promise from God to his people. And, and really, so we're looking at covenants this year in our Advent series. And if that's a new word for you or a new you know, theme for you from the Bible, like that's, that's totally okay. First of all, I would encourage you on your app, if you go to This Weekend on your app, there's a continued resource that I'd encourage you to watch a quick video from the Bible Project after church today. It'll help you get a little bit more of an understanding of, of how God uses covenants throughout his story. But, but really, it's, a, it's an agreement that God makes with his people. And, and on some of them, there's a, there's a role that the people commit to. But often, it's just Jesus, it's God saying, this is, how, this is what you can count on from me. I'm, I'm, I'm promising this to you. And it's a covenant that God enters into with his people. And one author uh, says that, that covenants are not the main point of the Bible. However, they are, more, they are a lot like the, the skeleton or the backbone of which the meta-narrative of the Scripture rests. So they sort of give structure to the big, larger narrative that God is doing throughout Scripture. And really, that narrative is what we studied in our last series, Kingdom Come. And so the covenants give a framework for the rest of the story of God to rest on. So today we're going to look at um, the second major covenant. Last week we looked at the, the covenant God made with Noah, and today we're going to look at the covenant God makes with Abraham. And so that, the story that the kids read is not just a one-off story. That is, that is our story from today. That is, that is what we're going to be looking at. And so that was uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, telling of the story of Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. And so um, if you'll look with me in Genesis 12, um, if you're going to want to use one of the Bibles near you, you can, you can do your phone, you can do your tablet, whatever you brought. However you read Scripture, we encourage you to have it open with us as we walk through this today and every week. We want that to be just a habit. So, uh, but if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, I believe it's on like page, I don't know, you can find it. Manny's got a slide, but 6 and 7, I, I believe, um, if you want to use one of the Bibles there in your seat backs. So what we have from last week, we have that God made a covenant with Noah, right? God destroyed the whole world with a, with a flood, and he said, listen, man is still broken and evil and selfish and wicked, but I'm never going to destroy the world that way again. I've got another plan. And, in, and so you can bank on that. I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky, and every time you see the rainbow, you can remember, oh, yeah, God's made a promise not to destroy the world through water again. He has a different plan to deal with sin. And so from Genesis 6 on, we have the, the culmination where we see people begin to be evil again. We see that go through, and then uh, it zooms through a bunch of generations uh, to, to, tell, to tell how God pers- preserved those people all the way through, and then we get to Genesis 12, and it's moving toward a particular person. And here the story is going to slow down. So Genesis 1 through 11 covers multiple generations um, in just 11 chapters. It moves really, really fast. And it'll account those, those genealogies are important. They're not always fun to read, but they're important because they're going to tell a link and show how God fulfilled his promise and preserved his people. But they move really fast through chapters 1 through 11. And then the rest of Genesis, the next like 30, I don't know, nine chapters or so, um, will slow way down and, and really just deal with a few generations. 
Um, and so the story's going to slow way down and become way more personal and start to focus in on not just humanity in general, but on a particular group of people. And that people starts with Abraham. So Genesis 12 is sort of a famous passage um, where Abraham is, is known as Abram before God has changed his name. And, and this is what it says in chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. He's telling him to leave where he lives. Imagine, I want you to imagine God telling you that, right? Just showing up, hey, move out of Marion. Some of y'all are like, man, I've been waiting on that sign. Um, out of Illinois, I'm just kidding. Um, imagine he shows up and says that, right? I love this area. I didn't mean to make a passive aggressive. Like, I'm here by choice. I, I love this area. I did not mean to. I'm like, man, people are going to. Yeah, I do not mean that. We really love Southern Illinois. It's here by choice. <laughs> My wife's like, put the shovel down, put the shovel down, dude. You're just digging deeper. I know. I know. It is what it is. <laughs> so God tells him to move. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. This is a big deal for these people, like to have a great family, to have a significant, like that, that's sort of the, 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 what, what everybody was longing for. And so the, the greatness is really based on your your, uh, you know, the size of your family and your property and all of that. And so he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's what we have. We have this, this broken world, this world full of sin and, and God wiped it all out and started over with Noah, but then things got bad once again. And in this time, instead of coming with judgment, he's leaning in with this curious form of grace where he's saying, okay, I'm actually going to do something personal. I'm going to do something with a people, and I'm going to use you, Abraham. I'm going to use you to accomplish this. But the curious part, the tension of the story is Abraham ain't got no kids, right? And he's really, really old. He's past the childbearing age. And so Abraham's like, man, that sounds great, but I don't know if you noticed, but my estate is set to go to one of my servants right? because I have no kids. And God says, no, no, I'm going to handle that. I'm going to handle that, and I need you to believe me. And so through this, the story begins to shift and move into this. The the rest of the story will be keeping up with this family that God chooses and promises. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all the nations, like all the people of the earth. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And he says, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave your family ties. I want you to leave the the, the security of your, you know, where you are. I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you. I want you to trust me, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, listen, there's a whole lot in this story, but what I want us to zoom in on today is that here's the big idea. We're going to look at the big idea, and then we're going to zoom back in and make it a bit more personal and some application points for the end. But God says to Abraham, to Abram at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he tells him, look at the stars later in chapter 15. I said, you're going to have more, you're, you're the, the, the kids and grandkids and the generations that are going to come from you are going to be more numerous than the stars. Nobody can count. It's going to be incredible. And at this point, this is, a, this is a childless old couple. And he says, through this, you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless all people. Now, here's the big idea. Here's the story. It's all connected. Again, remember, it provides this framework. We just talked about kingdom come. We talked about what God's doing in the future. We've looked a lot back at Genesis 1 and 2 and what he was doing in the beginning and how he meant for things to be. Well, he meant for things to be God dwelling with his people and his people being his rulers on earth, his image bearers. And he says, go and cultivate this world and rule it and subdue it and, and reign over it in my stead. That's what he meant for things to happen. And it was really, really good. 
right? And then things went wrong whenever, we'll look at this in a moment, whenever people reached for God's position, they decided they didn't want to just work with God and rule with him. They wanted to be God themselves, and the whole thing got fractured and the wheels came off as in Genesis 3, and, and, and they had to be removed from the garden. And it's this very sad moment. But the, but the good news is in Genesis 3 is that even in the midst of the curse, in the midst of, um, I believe it's one of the Christmas songs, Joy of the World, I believe it says, as far as the curse is found, right, that Christ is coming to redeem. So the curse comes in Genesis 3, and right in that moment, though, he says it won't always be this way. He says the seed of a woman is going to come and one day crush the head of the enemy, and he's going to conquer this deal. He's going to turn this thing around. And so that is what we've started with. That's the movement. That's what went wrong. That's the tension, the brokenness of the story, and it continues, and this is a part of it where it's, it's heading toward, and he calls this man. He says, go, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you this incredible land, and I'm going to make your people great, and, and I'm going to be your God, and you'll be my people. It's this incredible thing, and it continues to cultivate in the covenants that we'll look at. But here's the deal. This promise of a man will have a son, and through that seed, all the nations will be blessed. Like, we inherit that. We enter into that story. Because when we believe upon the seed of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ, when we, and, and that's why Matthew and, uh, starts with all the, the begats, right? That's why it starts with all of the, uh, the genealogies, is, is to link all that back so you know that God has fulfilled his promise um, and that this is indeed the seed of Abraham. And when we believe upon the seed of Abraham, we are, as, as Rob said earlier, we are adopted into this family that God has promised to be a blessing. And we are looking forward to the day when we will inherit the land, when we will inherit the, the, the promised land where one day, the Bible says in Revelation, there's this picture of a people gathered around the throne of Jesus People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we're all there worshiping Jesus. And then heaven comes to dwell with a remade earth. And we go and rule forever. So we are looking forward to the ultimate culmination of this promise from Abraham that we see. And, and this is what God is moving toward. And so, man, the Old Testament is so rich and, and relevant to our, our lives, and, and, and you need to read it and read it with this grand theme in mind and connect it all to Jesus because that's whenever you start finding life and treasure in it. And so that's where we're headed. That's, that's sort of the, the, the big idea, the big narrative of this story, but I want to zoom in a little bit and, and, and make it personal and, and see, okay, what does God have for us in this moment? And so, so here's, the, here's, the, here's where we would start. God makes this covenant with Abraham so to make it overly clear that he will provide the blessing. I want you to look back in the uh, text with me. I, I want you to see how many times God says the word. This is God speaking, right? The quotations in Genesis 12 is God talking to Abraham. I want you to start in verse 2. He says, I want you to see how many times he uses the word blessing or blessed in, in this passage. Let's count it with me. And I will make you a great nation and I will what? Bless you, that's one. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's two, right? And I will bless those, that's three, who bless you. That's four. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. That's five times in just two short sentences. God is using that word over and over again. And this is to, this is to underscore the idea that God is changing the narrative. He's moving toward a different posture that is drastically different than Genesis 3 through 11, right? What we saw in Genesis 3 through 11 is God moving, or is, is 
God's people moving away from God and the curse cultivating more and more brokenness and sinfulness that leads to a world that is not at all what God intended. And what we saw in Genesis 6 is that God moved toward that in judgment and destroyed it all. Like that's what our movement, our good deed, like that's where we end up is making a whole mess of this thing. And that's, so God has moved, had to move toward those people in judgment for their sin. But from that moment on, when he makes the promise with Noah, now he's moving in a different direction and he's moving in. He's going to begin to flip that. And so no longer is it, okay, because of what you've done, God has to, like, has to bring justice and a curse on this world. Yet that is still true, but he's going to move in a different direction and he's moving toward them. And the goal of this movement of God is blessing. It's to bless these people. And so he over and over again points to this. And here's the, here's the big idea. And there's so many layers and so many dynamics to this story. But the, the thing that he wants us to see first is that he will be the one who provides the blessing. Okay? He's saying this to an old couple who can no longer have kids, even if they want. Like, they've tried, and then they've given up. And he's telling them, no, no, no. I will provide the blessing. This is the... And, this is the antithesis, I can't say that. This is the antithesis of Genesis 3, right? What happened in that moment? God had given them this really good world. And he says, you can go, in Genesis 1 and 2, he says, you can eat anything you see. And I want you to enjoy this world and go and cultivate it. And he says, there's just one rule. Don't eat of that tree because if you do, you'll, you'll think that basically you're me and you don't need me and this whole thing, like the order will be out of whack. That's my paraphrase. He says, don't eat at that one tree. And, and the, the lie that Satan spins in that moment when he comes to Eve in Genesis 3, the lie that he says is, hey, God's holding out on you. Yeah, all this stuff is good, but I mean, did he really tell you not to eat, you know, that? That's because he doesn't want you to have the real blessing. If you have that, you'll be like him. Right? So he deceives them and makes them believe that the real blessing is in turning away from God and getting that deal. And when they reach for that, when they, when they take that, that's when the wheels come off this whole deal. And so this moment right, is the flipping of that script. Instead of reaching for greatness, instead of becoming great on his own, Abram is invited to believe that God will be the one who makes him great, that God will be the one that provides the blessing. And, and the, the fact that he says he's going to make his name great should, should point us back, if you're reading through the Bible um, and, and you've read through Genesis 1 through 11 so far, it would point, you, you should be drawn back to Genesis 11 whenever the people tried to build this great tower, the Tower of Babel. What was their heart in that? They wanted to make themselves great. Right? They wanted to reach up into heaven and they wanted to establish themselves as a people that everybody else would look up to and they would be able to look down upon and they would be in the position of a, a, a God, right? that they would be in authority. That was what they were aiming for, right? that they were, they were longing, we're made for glory. Here's the deal, we're all glory hungry. We all want it. We all crave this, this, this glory. We, we, we're made to worship. And when we don't have it in place with God, like we begin to put other things in that place. And most often it's ourself. We're trying to get ourselves exalted. We're trying to find life in other things. And, and God, he, he thwarts their plans, confuses their languages in Genesis 11 because he knows that they'll never find life in their own pursuits. And then it shifts into Genesis 12. Remember, he approaches this man, Abram. And, and instead of saying, hey, why don't you go see if you can make your name great? And if you do, if you do well... Then I'll come alongside you and bless you. He says, no, no, no. I know you don't have any kids. I know you don't have a whole lot of hope of your name meaning anything other than barren. But if you'll believe me, 
I'm going to do this special work. I'm going to be particularly at work in your life in such a way that not only is it going to bless you, but people all throughout history will look back at what I've done through you, and they will be blessed. So the point is that he will provide the blessing. This is, again, this is the flipping of what happened in Genesis 3 through 11. God's saying, no, no, no. When you try to accomplish life on your own, it's going to end badly. The wages of sin is death. There's a way that seems right in the man, Proverbs says, but in the end it leads to death. That's what, like Genesis 1 through 3 through 11 is, a, is just a really good reminder, a really good example of what we do to life whenever we're left on our own. Right? It's like you leave your kids at home alone. What they're going to do to the house is destroy it. Right? Sometimes my wife and I, just to have a few minutes to just chill or maybe take a nap, the cost of that is a destroyed house. Right? And we just got to know that sometimes and come to grips with that. Right? And so when, when God leaves us with this world, we make an absolute mess of it. And that's, that's just true. But he is moving in a direction. And he's flipping the script. And so he will provide the blessing. It is, it is on him. He is inviting us to trust in him. It's a, it's a reversal. It's moving back to Genesis 1 and 2 where we have, to re, we have to trust in him for the blessing of life. We have to trust in him that, yeah, he says don't eat that, but that must be for our good, right? And it's moving back to that. So he's telling Abram to leave his home, to move to a different place, to trust in him, to believe that he's going to have a kid. None of that is easy for this man to believe. None of that makes sense on paper. And yet, that's the invitation from God. Why? Because he wants us to live a life of faith in him. That's the whole point. Not only do we like, look to this story because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, we look to the story because Abraham becomes a prototype of faith in God. Right? We see this in Galatians 3, like where we are a part of the family of Abraham, not because of you know, some genetic line that we trace, but because we have believed in Jesus Christ, and that's what causes us to be born again into this family. We see in Genesis 15, that, that, uh, 15 6, that, that Abraham is, is once again, re, like this promise is reiterated to him, and, and he believes God. And it says, and because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the deal. God wants us to live in a relationship with him where we believe him. And because we believe him, we live a life of faith. That's why Abraham was able to, to continue to trust in God's plans, even whenever it seemed like a dead-end street, because he believed him. He believed that he could. Even when you fast forward in the story, and, and God asked Abraham to sacrifice this child that he'd long awaited to give, right? It's a curious turn in the story. He promised him this child, Isaac, and he promised that through this child, he's going to bless the whole world. And then Abraham gets this child and God says, okay, I want you to come up on this mountain and I want you to sacrifice this child to me. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but here's the deal. Abraham was about to do it. And all of us are like, how could you do that? Like, I don't care how much, like, that's just the line that most of us can't even fathom crossing, right? To, to sacrifice, to offer our child in worship of God because God said so, but here's the deal. It says later that he did it because he believed that God could raise his son from the dead. 
that if he indeed killed Isaac the way God had told him to do, that that must be for God's good because he can reason from the dead if that's what he wants to do. Why does he have that kind of faith? Because he's seen God do it in his life whenever no, no doctor, nobody believed that Abraham and Sarah could have a kid. Nobody believed it. It was, it was laughable, and yet God had done it. It's that sort of faith that he's calling us to, that when it doesn't make any sense, when it seems like a dead-end street, whenever our lives, we don't know why God has called us to this. It seems like when we started following God that things got worse, right? When things like that are going on, he's inviting us to trust in him and to believe in him. One author said that Abraham, I'm just going to read it. He says, Abraham's not like righteous because... He says it this way. We don't become heirs of Abraham's promises by working for God, right? It's that we don't earn that. We don't do things for God and then become heirs of Abraham's promise. No, no, but by being confident that God works for us. Read that again. We don't become heirs of Abraham's promises by working for God, but by being confident that God works for us. Romans 4 says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why Abraham could obey. Even when the obedience looked like a dead end street, he trusted God to do the impossible, to raise his son from the dead. So through Abraham, we get the promised child. It's Jesus, and he provides salvation. But also we get the father of faith. Most of the time we're going to tell you that the scripture is not about finding these heroes to mimic, right? That it's always pointing us to Jesus. And that is true. But in this, we're also being invited, we're being invited to have faith, not in Abraham, but in Abraham's God. We're invited to see the way that God had a relationship with Abraham and the way that he trusted him. And we're invited to have that same sort of faith in our own life. I remember when God called me into ministry, um, I got some advice really from spiritual father of mine, and he was like, hey, you need to go to school. He, he, he said it this way. He was sort of jaded by church stuff in some ways, and he says, you don't want to be dependent upon the church to pay your bills, so you need to go get a degree uh, that you can earn money with, and then you can go to seminary and then be ready to serve the church, but that way you're not dependent upon the church, and she can't hurt you. That's sort of the way he was saying that. So that's what I was going to do, and I started out, I went to a year of college, and that's where I was headed. I was going to get you know, a degree outside of you know, uh, biblical studies and then go to seminary after that and be ready to serve God. And I just felt this, this pursuit of the Lord saying, no, 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 I want you to trust me. The whole point of this deal is you trusting me with your life and giving me your life to serve and letting me take your life and use it as a blessing for others. And if you're not going to trust me, if you're going to you know, hedge your bets and have this backup plan, then we're not going to have this, this, this sort of relationship of faith that I'm needing to have with you to use you in the life of ministry. And so I felt God calling me to stop, stop pursuing that plan. So I didn't sign up for classes that next year. And it freaked a lot of people in my, you know, circle out. It felt like that was unwise, but I felt like God was calling me to it. Right? And so I began to pursue ministry, and he called me, you know, to continue my education toward ministry. And but, but immediately he kind of plugged me in. And, and, and listen, it's not the journey I would have uh, drawn up for myself, Right? I was talking to a friend that I hadn't talked to in about 20 years. We caught up on the phone this week, and he's like, hey, man, how you been? And it was just kind of fun to reflect on that. And, and it's not like I didn't take the path that I thought 
you know, I would want to take from there to here. But you know what? God has been so rich and so good in the blessings and the moments that my wife and I are able to point back to and see, man, God provided right there. He provided right there. Like we didn't have, like bills weren't adding up. Bills were adding up. Our, you know, income wasn't adding up to pay those bills. God provided right there. When we didn't know what he was doing in this or why we moved there or why we did, God provided. He showed up. And you know what? We have this, this posture. We're not perfect, but you know what? We kind of, like, we're able to step out and go, you know what? I just trust you, God. Not perfectly, but much more so because we've seen him provide. We've seen him show up. And he's inviting my heart every day, each and every day, to, to lean into him and to trust him to do things that only he can do. So I want to ask you, like, what is that? Like, where is he inviting you to have that sort of faith? He, he wants to be the one that provides the blessing, right? What you're going to be prone to do and what the enemy is going to try to convince you is that you need to take care of you, right? You need to get what you need to get. You need to take care. Like, yes, I know God's calling me to serve him. And yes, I know I should probably do that or, you know, live that way. Or maybe I should start working toward being able to serve him more with my life. Or maybe I should, like, fill in the blank, right? Whatever God's stirring in you. But you know that there's this tendency is, yeah, I know I should get to that. But right now, I, I, like, I got to work. I got to do this. I, I got to worry about my kids. I got to do. And, and listen, that's, listen, Abraham is living out for us what Jesus would call to us to in Luke 9 later when he would say, hey, if you want to save your life, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. You got to lay it down. And if you, you want to lose everything, just keep trying to do it all on your own. Abraham is modeling that in this moment whenever he says, okay, God, I believe you. What does that look like for you? What is it that you are like, yeah, I know God, but right here, right now. We see this over and over again in the Gospels where, where people are called to follow Jesus and they go, okay, I want to, but let me go finish this. And Jesus says, no, no, no. No, no, you, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because if you haven't seen me as glorious enough to let go of everything else in your life, then you're not really experiencing the blessing. You're not really experiencing salvation. Because the blessing of God, the blessing of Christianity, is not about riches and prosperity. There's some preachers and teachers are going to tell you that it is, and it is absolutely not founded in Scripture. The blessing of following God, the blessing that he's talking about here that extends to all people, is about letting him be the one that provides the blessing. It is about him being the one that provides new life in Jesus Christ that then allows us to have joy in spite of our circumstances. That's what he's calling us to. And that's what, again... Jesus says, hey, you want to find your life? Lay it down. Come follow me. Abraham is doing that in this moment. So where is he asking you to have faith? Maybe, maybe you felt a call to, you know, be a missionary. Pack up your, and you're like, no, there's no way I could do that. There's no way. You just dismiss it. Maybe you're being called to adopt or to foster or, to, or just to give more of your time or your money. Or like, fill in the blank. I, I don't know what God's stirring in you, but I know what it's like to have a list of reasons why I can't do that right now. And it's not about God just trying to get more out of you. It's about him inviting you to be blessed. It's about him inviting you into this relationship with him where you will find life. It's about him inviting you back to Genesis 1 and 2 whenever we trusted in him. For our provision. We trusted in him for our identity and him for our joy. 
that's what he's doing. He's restoring broken humanity. And humanity's not broken just because of the outside evil stuff. It's because we are not in relationship with God. And that's what he's moving toward in this relational movement with Abraham and his family is, is headed toward Jesus whenever Jesus comes. And as we get to that at the end here, I want, I want us to, the, the, the way that this covenant, right, this agreement with God for Abraham is sort of sealed, takes place in sort of a peculiar story in chapter 15. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 15, just over from where we were, uh, it, it has this story where God is still sort of laying out what he's going to do in Abraham's life. And as sort of a ceremonial establishing of this covenant, God does something sort of different for many of us. So in, in this day and age, it would be common for different uh, sort of uh, powers, different countries, different nations of you know, the world to, to sort of enter into agreements. And a lot of times what they would do is, is a sovereign country, right? A, a powerful nation would, would, would come in and, and take over or come in and make an agreement with a with a sort of a subordinate national, you know, state that wasn't able to, you know, sort of fight against them, they would make this agreement, and they would do so with this ceremony where they would slaughter animals, and they would cut them in half. They would cut them in half. So I mean, blood's everywhere. It's very graphic, and they would lay them, lay half of it on each side, and then they would they would pass back and forth. Both parties would pass back and forth, and they would say, "Hey, if we if we fail to uphold our end of this agreement." May what, hap- what has happened to these animals happen to me. Well, in, in that day and age, what would happen most often is the, the sovereign nation would be the one sort of initiating that, and, and basically that the consequences would be falling more toward the subordinate state, right? That if they don't do their part, if they don't, you know, pay their taxes and do their, you know, stay loyal to the, the then there's going to be a price to pay. Right? And so it, it's sort of this understanding of, hey, we're here and we're making this agreement with you. We'll have peace and things will go really well as long as you guys don't rebel against us. If you rebel against us, make an allegiance with uh, you know, another country, another state, then just so you know, this is what we promised you. Like there will be judgment. There will be consequences. And so that was sort of common in this day and age. And so as God's entering into this covenant with Abraham, promising to use him to bless all nations for all time, he he does this incredible ceremony. And he actually, uh, verse 12 of chapter 15 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is all looking ahead to the Exodus um, whenever people end up in Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, verse 17, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of the animal. If you read 7 through uh, 11, it talks about the animals that they cut up there. There was a heifer and a goat and some doves and a ram. It's all sorts of just blood everywhere. Um, and, and so this torch passed between these pieces of animal. And 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, to the Kenizzites, to the Cadmonites, to the Hittites, to the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All of this land. He's, he's pointing out, he says, there and there 
and there, and that land, and that land, and that land. I'm going to give it all to you, and your offspring are going to consume, like, they're going to rule it. They're going to reign there, and it's going to be really, really good. He's pointing it. But the, the interesting thing is that that ceremony, there's just one flaming pot that's passing back and forth. Where's Abram? The dude's passed out. Like, he's, he's out. God calls a great sleep to, to fall on him. Like, he's there. And what is it? This is signifying that instead of being like the sovereign nation and God is coming down and saying, Abraham, if you do this, things will go really well. If you step out of line and you need to know that what's happened to these animals is going to happen to you. No, no. God says, no, 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 Abraham, you just, you're not able. I know you're not. You lay there. I'm going to make this covenant, and I'm going to seal it with my own oath, my own commitment. And when you fail to live up to your part, I, I will bear the brunt of that cost. And this points us to the seed of Abraham who would one day come and lay down his life where his body would be broken. Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life, he upholds God's end of the deal, and then on the night that he was gathered with his disciples, he takes bread, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body, broken for you. You, we, failed our end of the covenant. Like, we could not keep up our end of any covenant. He says, I, I will bear the full responsibility of this covenant. And though you, we deserve to be the ones that are slaughtered for our sin, he says, I'll do that for you. This is my body, broken for you, torn in half for you. And the sacrificial system is wrought with blood. People in the Old Testament were very familiar with blood. And a need for it to be shed and thrown on the altar and offered. And, and Jesus is the culmination of that. He's born in a manger so that he can die on a cross. And he's pointing ahead that week as he's betrayed. He didn't t- he's, his body's broken in half. And he says, And the blood that is shed, though it should be yours because the sin is yours, this is my blood. This cup represents my blood, Jesus says, the blood of the new covenant. You see, God is a God of. Covenants, and he gives us signs to remember those covenants. For Noah, he gave us a rainbow. He says, every time you see that, I want you to remember the promise I've made. For Abraham, the sign's going to be circumcision, that all the males in the family of Abraham will be circumcised. For us, the new covenant, all of these are pointing ahead. This meal is one of the signs that we look back and we remember that God is the one who's going to provide life. God is the one who's going to provide blessing. It's not up on us to perform and to get better, do better, clean our lives up. Listen, I know many of you, you're struggling, right? You're struggling. You, you, you're struggling with kids that, you, that have walked away from the faith. You're struggling with just your kids in general. You don't know, you know, you're like, who, who said that I was qualified to do this, right? Any of our parents are like, who gave me kids? This was a terrible idea. I'm, you know, like, so you're there. Some of you are struggling with addiction. Some of you are struggling with depression. Some of you are struggling with, uh, with fill in the blank. 
And we come to this place where it could feel like we're not worthy. It could feel like we can't fix ourselves, and that is exactly where God wants to meet us. He says, no, 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 you can't. You're right. And that's why I came. And so we celebrate Christmas knowing that he was born, that man no more may die. Because he stepped in. He took our place. He lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we, you and me, should have died. And he's resurrected. And he, and he gives us that gift of hope, of new life, of new birth. So we're going to come and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate God's promises to us through the covenants with remembering the, the gift, the observation, the meal of the new covenant. This is communion. This is Christ's body broken and given for you. So we're going we're gonna to end and I invite you to come. There's a table in front of each section. And, and if you're a Christian, we invite you to come. And, and you're going to come up and break off a piece of the bread. And as you break it, you remember that Jesus' body was broken. That God fulfilled his promise. That God holds up his end of the deal. Jesus' body was broken. As you dip it in the cup, you remember that his blood was shed. That your righteousness, your justification is not based on how well you performed this week or how well you're going to perform in the coming week. Instead, it's based on what Christ has done, period. Let's pray. God, thank you for this hope. Thank you for this good news. And may it bear fruit in our hearts today. For some, Lord, if they've never trusted you and been found to have new life for the first time, Lord, would you give them the faith to respond and say, I trust in Jesus as my Savior. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is the one that God raised from the dead after dying on the cross for my sins. I want to make him Lord of my life. Would you give us the faith to respond with that? Lord, and for the rest of us, would you give us faith to walk through our life and to let you provide the blessing, to let you provide direction. And even when it doesn't make sense, we choose you over logic, over wisdom, over our plan. Make us a people that choose you. And as we choose you and as we live for you, may you use us to bless this broken world, to be a light, to be salt. Have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen.